Hello and uh, welcome to another episode of the Villa Talks uh, podcast. Uh, Omar sadly not with us this evening. I don't know what he's up to. He just said he uh, he wasn't available. So unfortunately, you've got me in charge uh, this evening. Uh, but I'll do my best to keep things on on track. So with me this evening, I have got Sam. Uh, how are you doing, Sam? I'm all good, thanks. AJ, good to be back on. Yeah. How's your How's your evening going so far? Not too bad. I've just been helping a, a neighbour's son with his A-level economics revision, so uh, doing my bit for the oh. local community. Charging for that, mate? I wasn't charging for that, actually, uh, oh, AJ. No, oh, very, uh, what we like to call pro bono. Very generous, very generous of you, mate. Very yeah, that's, generous as a that's, professional tutor. What What is that you drinking there? Is that a stout? It looks like a stout. Uh, it, it is. It's a stout. It's uh, it's a brew dog uh, black velvet. I think it's called or chocolate velvet. Very or nice. Very nice. Very nice. Did you have a nice tea this evening? I made myself a lovely uh, chicken curry. Actually, mate, it was fantastic. Did you? Good. Yeah. Good. Mrs. Mrs. Good. Cleary. Mrs. Cleary is out watching Chris Rock tonight. So, uh, I'm oh, here very good. At, I'm here looking after the nipper and uh, looking where's, after myself. Uh, where's Chris Rock? Because he's at the O2 or somewhere like that. Uh, in Victoria, I think somewhere in Victoria. Oh. Do you know they've got to have their phones in? Really? Yeah, yeah. Which is which is quite interesting. I mean, why is that? Because he's going to say some stuff that's like you know really controversial, or maybe he doesn't want people well. filming. It doesn't want it. I probably doesn't want it given away. Last the last time uh, I remember having an aggressive no phones rule was Prince in his run at the O2. Uh, but that yeah. was in the days before you know it was all still flip phones and that. So you couldn't really. All you nah. could do was take some shitty like audio one meg one megapixel pictures or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't do anything. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Um. Well, we will kick off as usual with um, the news. So here is uh, from the stands of Villa Park. And obviously, the big the big news this week um, literally confirmed uh, about half an hour before we recorded the podcast is the permanent signing of uh, Philippe Coutinho. So um, Villa said it was an undisclosed fee, but Barca said it was 20 million euros. So it wasn't very undisclosed. Uh, So that's about 17 million uh, quid. According to uh, Fabrizio Romano in The Guardian, there's a 50% sell-on clause in there as well. But at the end of the day, he's 29. I don't imagine there's going to be much of a a sell-on, even if he um, tears up a lot of trees for us in the next couple of years. Uh, but even more interesting, potentially, um, is uh, John Percy at the back post uh, revealing that Coutinho was so keen to play for us uh, that he took a 70% uh, pay cut. Uh, but rumours are that his pay before was somewhere in the region of 400 to 450 grand a week, uh, which would still mean he was bringing in 135k a week, even after his 70% pay uh, cut, which may still make him uh, best paid player certainly certainly not far off um so we've we've chatted a little bit about Coutinho over the last few weeks on the on the pod with a kind of um a, a, a kind of um should we or shouldn't we sign him permanently what are the pros and cons of of that uh, I think we were broadly still in favor of it but with some some caveats so Sam um What's your response to that news this evening? Um, well, I think somebody tweeted, this, this is the best footballer that Villa have signed in my lifetime. And and I thought, yeah, that's right. You know, he's, uh, he's a world-class player. His, his talent is undeniable. And, uh, you know, we've watched him this season. And in flashes, he's just playing the game uh, uh, on a different level to everyone else. Um, and, you know... Watching him in the flesh uh, for the first time, actually against Norwich, was kind of almost surreal experience. Like, am I really watching a, a Brazilian international of you know, as, with this many honours and of this quality? You know, because I remember being here three years ago, and uh, you know, it was a great goal by Conor Hurahan, but the uh, the idea that the idea that Philip Coutinho would be lining up for us in three years' time would have been uh, fanciful to say the least. So, you know, I think it's fantastic and I'm, I am really pleased. And also, I don't know about you, uh, 
when we agreed the loan and there was this idea of, you know, a fee's been agreed, a lot of people were almost suggesting that if we wanted it, it was a done deal. And it was as good as a done deal as long as he played well. But I looked at it in a different way and I thought, well, look, if he plays well, this deal will be hijacked by people who can pay higher wages. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised I, I, right, if Newcastle... Right, right, yeah, right until the last minute, there were rumours of Newcastle coming yeah. in, weren't there? Hmm. And obviously, you know, we, we all wanted to put a great deal of store on this idea that he's Gerard's mate and it's footballing reasons only and he's not a mercenary. Um, but, you know, I think that we've uh, perhaps we've all been burned in the past by this idea that players will have loyalty to, you know, managers or clubs and not be mercenary. So I just, you know, I was scared to believe. Uh, but now it's over the line. I, I just feel slightly relieved from that point of view. But uh, also quite excited because I think that, you know, with the pre-season and uh, with Ger- now Gerard's got him and clearly wants him to be the linchpin, you know, it, it, it's it's just possible that he's going to have a fantastic season next year and we're going to see him play some lovely stuff. But the reservation is, and, you know, I know that you, you share it to a certain extent and uh, I'd be interested to know just to what extent. The reservation for me is this idea that we've got this uh, we've got this lad Emmy Buendia, and at the start of the season, I I wasn't sure about him. He seemed a bit lightweight. Um, you know, uh, he was losing the ball, he was getting caught in possession, and I just wasn't sure if he was uh, really going to be able to fill Jack's shoes. But as the season's gone on, you know, he's a player who's got absolutely bags of talent, so much guts. You know, he gets stuck in, and as I was saying to you, watching him the other day. Watching him against Liverpool when he came on, watching him against Burnley, he's, he just seems to pop up and pick up such great positions. And I think that because Coutinho's, you know, hasn't got the engine that uh, Emi Buendia's got, when he's tired in the second half, when he starts fading out the game, he doesn't have the engine to get into the half space and he just doesn't pick up the ball as much. And I just think Buendia is, you know, he's a warrior. He gets up and down the pitch and sometimes he sees passes that you're just thinking, God, I, j- I didn't see that. You know, he's he's got that vision. He's got the ability to beat a man. And what all this boils down to is we've got two absolutely phenomenal players and a manager that I'm concerned doesn't have a plan to get them both in the side. And, you know, as much as I wanted to pitch myself that I was watching Coutinho the other day, you know, I want to be able to watch them both. I want to see them in the same team. And I guess I'm concerned that, um, you know, Gerard's selections and rhetoric over the past three or four weeks suggests that's not really going to be reality very often next season. And that's my that's my concern. Yeah, and I think I share that. It was interesting. I was listening to um, 1874 this morning and um, Dan Bardell, uh, big-time Dan Bardell, friend of the pods, um, <laughs> Uh, was was saying on that that he thought it was a no no brainer, but he had Oliver Kay on, uh, who obviously is not um, primarily a, a Villa journalist. So he was he he'd he'd been at the um, Liverpool game uh, and he'd written a piece on the Athletic about the progress that he felt we were making under under Gerard. But I thought it was interesting that he, as a kind of uh, more objective observer than than perhaps the rest of us as as diehard Villa fans. Um, was saying is is it really a no is it really a no brainer? Well, now the thing that I would say is, look, it's eighteen million quid. Yeah, uh, no, that's only our ninth most expensive signing. It's still cheaper than Darren Bent uh, way way back in ten in, in t- two thousand and ten eleven. Um, how much was Ross? And how much was Ross McCormack? How much was Ross McCormack? We'll, we'll come back to that later, mate. Uh, <laughs> I've, got little, I've got a little I've got a little quiz for you later on. Uh, uh, Excellent. Uh, Inspired by the Coutinho signing on uh, on our most expensive signing, so we'll come back to that. Um, but I, I just think, I mean, I said facetiously uh, to a friend of mine on Twitter earlier, it, it's great, isn't it, that we've brought someone in to provide some backup for Emi Buendia? Because I think, you know, there have been three or four games that Coutinho's played, and, and I said this last time with, with Omar, where he has that world-class status that he has has been undeniable, and he has played three or four games, probably three actually, where they're amongst the best attacking creative performances that I've seen from any Villa player in my in my lifetime. Um, like genuinely 
incredible transformative performances that you just don't see people in villa shirts making very very often uh, you know and i include i include all of jack Grealish's great appoint, uh, performances in in that i include people like dwight york and, and all those players that i've grown up watching patrick patrick um, Berger. yeah indeed well indeed um <laughs> But but those have been the exception rather than the the rule. I would say even against Liverpool, he was probably one of our least impressive players. Apart from a few, fla- there were flashes of brilliance. You know, the little yeah. dink over Trent Alexander's oh. head and, and all that sort oh, of stuff. Oh yes, remarkable. Although you kind of forgive him for taking the shot on because you have seen him ping, seen him ping them in from there, haven't yeah. you? But the ball was Douglas Luiz. Like he was yeah, definitely the bot. Reg- regardless, absolute class. I think. What we need to see is, as you said, there needs to be a way to f- get both of those players into the side. We know Gerard likes to play two tens when he's done it for us. It hasn't it hasn't worked. Maybe it will work with with better players around him, as we've debated. You know, particularly a, a defensive midfielder, etc. So, look, I, but I think that we've signed him now. So the time right. for the equivocations is kind of over. The, the time now is you you look at the positives and there are huge positives um, there and it becomes a nice problem to have. And it's a bit like where we've got to now with the Ings and Watkins problem, which was really concerning us earlier in the season. But now it's a case of, you know, we've got all these attacking options. What's yeah. the best combination? And that might not be the best combination every game. And I, I think, to be fair to Gerard, he actually said that the other day himself, that, you know, sometimes he'll play with two proper forwards sometimes he'll play with two tens and and all of those players will will get their chance so um yeah you know and, and I thought against Burnley it, it, it was positive that we saw Buendia get a start as you've mentioned the kind of interview where uh, Gerard sort of said that's only because Coutinho was having a rest was probably less than I, less than ideal but yeah. I, I think you know Overall, I'm I'm pleased with the signing, and I think we've we've done whatever we could have done to make the financial aspects of it as reasonable as they could possibly be. And I think it's a bargain when you when you look at it uh, in that in that context. Um, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he could do. And and the other thing I would say is I think you know when we're looking at other players to sign um, in uh, the in the window they are going to look at Philippe Coutinho and think that that's a player that I would like to to play with, you know, and if you're if you're talking about, you know, Kamara from uh, Marseille or, or whoever, then yeah. th- though I think it gives us a better chance of signing those players, the fact that we've now got Coutinho in per- permanently, just simply because of his stature as a player. I agree. And, and also with Buendia playing the way he is, and, you know, Buendia's going to be a... a a uh, regular in the Argentina squad, and there's absolutely no reason to think that he couldn't be a regular uh, Argentinian star. We've got Dougie Luiz. We've got we've got some leading internationals in there, and as you say, you know, uh, outside of the kind of the, the top four, you know, maybe you can add in Man United. Uh, you know, we we must be an attractive club for a, for a player that's you know perhaps not being looked at by those those big sides, uh, but wants to move from you know somewhere. From, like West Ham, although maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that you're right, and I think that it can only help with our recruitment. And we know because we keep reading it that the board are going to back Gerard. And if this helps him get some really ambitious targets over the line this summer, that can only be a good thing, can't it? Yeah, and I also think if we want to take that next step uh, into the the top seven or eight teams which I think is the is the next is the next step. I don't think top six is the next step. I think that's one one more step uh, yeah. beyond where we are. Um we need to almost get out of this mindset of only thinking about the first eleven and actually, yeah. you know, regardless of whether facetiously Coutinho is back up for Buendia or the other way around, mm. actually we need to stop thinking, well we can't have you know 25, 30 million pound players on the bench because mm. if if we want to develop as a team you know, we will have at the end of the day. Yeah, even Wolves spent thirty million on Fabio Silva, who I don't think, from what we've seen of him so far, is is worth that fee. But you know, they signed him to be backup for Jimenez essentially. Yeah. And, and so, if you want to get to that next level, 
you've got to get beyond just thinking about, oh, well, you know, players are going to be unhappy if they're sat on the bench. Some of them have got to be. You've got to have quality players on, on the bench. Yeah. We've got to we've got to get a, a way around that. Um, so ne- next in the news, I guess you've just alluded to it there, um, the rumours around Ollie Watkins. So uh began with a Guardian uh, article uh, suggesting that um, West Ham have placed him high on their list of targets for the summer. Various numbers being abandoned around generally in the in the range of around 40 or, or 50 million uh, quid. Um, I don't want to spend too long on this because, A, I don't think you and I are that far apart on it, although we disagree on some elements of it and we could end up arguing about those disagreements for a long time, uh, as tends to happen when you have uh, that kind of dynamic. Um, and B, it's just a rumour at this stage. So, you know, not too much to, to talk about, I don't think. But I think it is just worth touching on where you are in terms of um, Watkins. Uh, I, I thought he was excellent against Liverpool. I think his performances have improved, but there mm. have been questions over his, his form this season. Um, and if a bid were to come in, where would you stand on it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we signed him for what, 33 million, was it? Yeah, well, 20, 28 plus add-ons. Add-ons, add-ons yeah. yeah. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're, for me, if the right money comes in and, and that has to be 50 million plus, I think it's something you look at and I think you say, you know, do, do we know, does the, does the board know, does the recruitment team have some uh, targets in mind that we can get over the line that are, you know, obviously better than him? Now, you know, I don't think there's a lot of those players around. Um how many league goals has he got? Ten or eleven? Um, ten this season, I think. Ordered. So, so we could reasonably assume that he might end up on eleven or twelve, uh, and you know that's not a bad return for a team that, particularly in the first half of the season, was struggling. And he had an yes, injury. Ten, ten goals. Ten goals this season. Only, yeah. only one assist, but ten goals. So let's say he gets eleven. Even tw- let's be let's be generous and say twelve. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it would be nice to think that we could get a striker that had the ability to get a bit closer to 20. But the problem is that, you know, those players are few and far between. And and as I said on the WhatsApp earlier, let's say Tammy Abraham had never played for us or indeed play in the Premier, played in the Premier League. We'd be looking at this lad at Roma scoring all these goals and we'd be saying, yeah, bung 50 million at that. But I think there's no reason to think that... Uh, that Abraham would get more than Watkins in our team. Well, and he didn't get he didn't get more in the Chelsea team, did he? Really? So. No, exactly. And in the Championship, they got roughly the same. I think uh, Carl was saying, um, you know, yeah, twenty six each. Yeah. Um, so you know, so where are these players that are a clear upgrade? That's the difficulty. Um, I, I just don't think there's that many of them out there. So I'd be pretty cautious about selling him, but I do have my frustrations with him. I, I think that, you know, in a one-on-one situation, he doesn't have a trick. Um, and, and I think that sometimes it, his finishing is a bit off, but that's definitely improved in the second, in the latter half of the season. And actually, you know, against Liverpool, I think he showed at times, at times he was bullying Van Dyke, you know, and, yeah. and showing actually that he can, uh, he can mix it with players as good as that. And that's, that's really positive. So, you know, with a full pre-season, and let's remember actually that there are the kind of green shoots, the beginnings of a, of a, of a productive partnership with Ings. Um, you know, that I think they both ass- assisted each other, not for a goal, but for, a, for a, you know, a really strong XG chance. Um, yeah. and, I f- and I felt that they were starting to anticipate each other's runs and, and find each other in the final third. So, you know, maybe next year he can nudge that up a bit particularly if we've got Coutinho for the whole season. Buendia, who's really found his feet, you just think that he's going to get a lot more clear-cut opportunity. So I think I've talked myself into a position where I don't want to sell Ollie Watkins. <laughs> okay. All right, good. <laughs> I mean, I think that's where I am. I think the one thing you haven't touched on there as well is the the specifics of selling into West Ham. Um, and again, you and I have debated this on, on Twitter and, and WhatsApp as well. Um I think he would improve West Ham. I think Antonio's a good player, but he, you know, they don't have anything up front beyond Antonio, really. So even if it's, again, just strengthening their, their squad or finding a way to fit into that team, I, I don't know. But I think he strengthens West Ham. 
Uh, Ben Rama's there already, who he's been had a very productive relationship with at Brentford. And I think Bowen on the other side, I think he would really thrive in that team. And I think one aspect of it, if it is West Ham that comes in with a bid, um, should that happen at all, then um, I think, you know, West Ham are currently comfortably ahead of us and we're trying to catch them. And I think Mm -hmm. anything we do that strengthens them and, uh, Potential has the potential to to weaken us. Although, as you say, if you can sign someone equally as good or, or better, then then perhaps it doesn't. But uh, I think there's too much risk uh, associated with it. So I, I accept Watkins has some limitations, but I, I think he's the right player for us for now. And I, I think sending him to West Ham would be a huge mistake. Yeah. Uh, so then the only other news story that I wanted to touch on quickly was that the Aston Villa women uh, finished their season um, and a record attendance at Villa Park, 8,000 fans in uh, to see the derby against the, the Blues. Unfortunately, they lost uh, 1-0, uh, but the Blues have still been relegated. So happy days on that front. Um, Excellent. But um, uh, yeah, a bit of a up and down season uh, for the uh, Villa women. Um, comfortably stayed in the division in the end, uh, and it, it seems like um, they were by far the better side against the Blues uh, and just didn't have the finishing. Uh, but the other thing just to mention is uh, Anita Asante re- retiring uh, as well. Seventy-one England caps, thirty-five games for Villa. Um, lovely little moment where um, Stephen Gerrard gave her a lovely hug uh, at the end of the game. Uh, apparently uh, he was going to shake her hand, but she said her hands were really sweaty, so we'd be better off going in for a going in for a hug. So I don't know. Ah, fair enough. That's yeah, about, uh, but there you go. Um, so yeah, just uh, I, I just think it's great seeing uh, a big attendance like that um, at uh, at a women's game, uh, having them play at Villa Park as well for the last game of the season. Uh, and uh, you know, reports are that we're planning to continue to invest in that team. Uh, and that in particular, they're they're looking to sign a couple of strikers in the in the summer to try mm-hmm. and solve the um, the goal scoring issues. So I think that's the news. Um, the last time we were on uh, was immediately after the Leicester game. So the games are coming thick and fast as we've been trying to catch up with some missed fixtures and stuff. So we've actually had three games since then. So I think it's just briefly worth touching on uh, the Norwich performance. Um, I don't think we need to talk about that too much because Norwich is so poor, but worth touching on it. Uh, but also the Burnley performance before we go on to talk about um, about Liverpool. So what was your uh, takeout from those two games, Sam? Yeah, I I enjoyed the Norwich game. Um, I thought that we, we didn't dominate the ball, but we dominated the chances. And I didn't think that... Uh, once Watkins' goal went in, I, I, there was only really going to be one winner. It would have been nice to maybe get another couple of goals, but I thought I, I thought we were comfortable. Watkins' goal took a bit of a deflection, but he he took it really well. He put the put the centre half on his ass, um, and you know it was a it, it was a well struck shot, a slight deflection, but I still think it, it, it's a really good goal. Um, and then yeah, nice to get a great a great pass from Ings as well. I thought you know again, yeah, Ings Watkins absolutely. relationship. Um, I, I thought you know there was a little bit of all. Oh, was it a lump forward? I thought it was more than that. I thought it was a, I thought it was a good. I thought it was a good pass over the top. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that for Ings to get the uh, the goal as a golden assist in the game was good for him because at that point you know and I I, I think that uh, there was a, there was some kind of commentary on Twitter and maybe a few uh, journalists were starting to talk about whether the Ings move hadn't worked very well and it was he, he was going backwards. But actually, he well, gets a goal. I will, I will just say, mate, I think you might have been saying that a couple of times as well yourself <laughs> well, you earlier know. in the season. Maybe. To and, be uh, fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I think getting a goal and assist in that game, uh, you know, it's, it's clearly boosted his confidence. And, um, he, you know, I think that with those, with the Burley game and the Norwich game behind him, he, he started to look like a much more valuable member of the squad. And you've highlighted that actually... You know, given that he's been in and out of the side, his numbers actually stack up pretty well now. Um, and you know, he's he's obviously got a they bit do, of experience. Yeah. So, yeah, seven goals and uh, six assists in the season uh, so far, which is a which is a pretty good, um, pretty good return overall. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't think you can complain about that. Really, twenty twenty one starts to deliver that. So, yeah, you know, better better than one better than one in three. Um, yeah. Uh, 
well, no, exactly one in three, isn't it? Seven, yeah. seven threes at 21. That's so, right. So it's exactly one in three. Uh, but, you know, I think that's about the return that you, yeah. uh, you expect from a, from a striker of ours, really. Yeah, and the other good thing about that game was uh, seeing Tim uh, Irregbenham get a start. Um, and, I, and he didn't disgrace himself by any stretch of the imagination. He was pretty solid in the middle of the park. Didn't seem overawed. Um, and that can only have helped his development. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that, that was another good thing. Um, so Burnley then, obviously, we move on to Burnley. Uh, tough place to go. They're fighting for their lives. We haven't got a great record at Turf Moor. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I thought we were great, you know. I thought giving Buendia the start was, I think, uh, good management. Okay, we've learned since it's just because uh, Coutinho was tired. But nevertheless, uh, Buendia... <laughs> Grasped that opportunity with both hands, um, which was which was great to see. Um, and I, I thought he was great. The, the 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 pass that he played through for the first goal was absolutely fantastic. But yeah. like I said, just his willingness to get on the ball and cause problems for the opposition makes a makes a huge difference. And yeah, again, I, I felt that we um, yeah we bossed the game, created a lot of opportunities, uh, and. You know, we're, we're sort of flat track bullies in a sense, aren't we? Because we don't tend to uh, pick up many points against the kind of upper reaches of the table. But we look very, very comfortable against Burnley and Norwich. And that bodes well for next season in the sense that, you know, if we can get a couple of players in that might make us able to do bits against the uh, top eight, perhaps, think you know, we can we can anticipate a bigger points tally and a better finishing position next year. Yeah, and I, I think that's... I think that kind of sums up where we are. Really, is that against the top eight, we've we've I wouldn't say we've struggled. Obviously, Liverpool is an example of a game where we've really taken the game to them and so on. But we we haven't got results. Some of them have been we've made them tight games and all the rest of it. But we haven't got results against uh, the teams in the top eight uh, and generally uh, in the top half uh, either. Um, at least in the top half where we've where we've played them, um, but. I think we are consistently now beating the the lower sides. Um, there have been aberrations in that. Obviously, you know performances like Watford and and, and at home and and games like that. You know, it's not like every single time we've played one of the teams uh, in the lower half of the division under under Gerald, we've we've won. But you know, if you look at recent games against you know like Southampton and uh, and Leeds, uh, Norwich, Burnley, those have all been. Um, convincing victories. So, you know, we've we've lost far too many games this season. I've said that before on the pod, but you can see a situation where some of those those tighter games, you know, uh, you know, l- losing one nil uh, against Newcastle, uh, those kinds of games, you've only got to turn a few of those into draws, and and it suddenly and it may be the odd one into a win, and it, it suddenly sees you move up the, the table. And I think we are running some of the bigger teams uh, a bit closer now. Um, and, and I feel like the Burnley game was probably one of, if not our best performance uh, under under Gerard, particularly in the context of the game, as you say, where our record against Burnley is poor. Um, even when we've played well against the, them in the past, we've somehow contrived to still find a way of, of losing the game. Um, to win that in such a kind of... I don't think any of us went into that game thinking this will be a comfortable it's just routine, wasn't it? Side. Yeah, it was a routine yeah. win. And uh, it's been a long time since we've gone away to places like Turf Moor and, and seen that. Now, partly that's the quality of the Burnley side not being what it was. And also they had some good chances that they didn't take. Um, well, well, they were off the back of a bit. Game, they were off the back of a streak, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. What, the new what, manager bounce and all of that. Yeah, yeah. We, we love a new manager bounce. Yeah, so... Oh, there's a good result. So, yeah. Good performance. Yeah, good. So, let's uh, move on, I guess, to Liverpool then. But let's kind of uh, segue into that via your hero and villain of the week. Yeah, uh, let's start with the villain. Um, My villain of the week is John Moss. What a surprise. What a surprise. I know. Uh, don't oh, fall off surprised. your chair there. Um, yeah, um, you know, it, from start to finish, it was just a completely inept refereeing performance. And I think you know, it's very, it's it's very easy to to moan about refs and um, 
you know, it's very easy to to pick holes in their performance. But I think there came a point in the uh, first half where um, Douglas Louise has, has taken the ball off uh, one of the centre-halves and he's tried to move it past, uh, I'm not sure he was pressing him, it might have been Mane. He moves it past Mane and he's got the chance to sort of break into a bit of space. John Moss closed him down. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he actually closed Louise down. I thought, oh, put a reducer in, John. Just stick a reducer in there, tactical foul. I could not believe yeah. what I was watching. Um, yeah. You know, and then Fabinho, you know, it was, they were counting the fouls. I think at one point Moss sort of said, come on, Fab, that's your fifth now. Yeah, book him, yeah. book him, John. You know, yeah. it's persistent fouling. I just thought that, uh, no, I, you know, I think it's a bit mean to say that the bloke's too fat and he can't keep up with play because, <laughs> but. because no, no, but but actually he gave five fouls. So he was up with play enough to see that they were fouls. Yeah. It's nothing to do with the size of his waistline that he can't realise that, you know, one, two, three, four, count them, five fouls is persistent fouling. Um, so, yeah, I just yeah. thought it was absolutely outrageously poor. And I understand why Gerard was uh, happy to flirt with a fine um, for uh, suggesting that uh, he's had his day. Yeah, my favourite one was when I think it was Cater, as clear as day, tripped uh, Louise in the replay. You could see he's basically stamped on his foot. Louise goes down and grabs it, as players tend to do when they think it's a guaranteed foul because it's just so obvious. Uh, and the ref gave them a free kick for handball, which, you know, if he hasn't given a free kick, it is a handball. But it was such an obvious free kick from from Cater. And I, I'm, I am not, I'm always very reluctant to criticise referees because I think football fans criticising referees is often A, OTT, B, very wide-eyed. Hmm. In this case, it was just an appalling performance. And I don't think he was only appalling for us either. I think there were poor decisions, uh, you know, the the other way. But it was definitely, a, there was definitely a skew. Uh, yeah. and, and also, I don't think for one second it, it cost us the game. I don't think any, it was kind of like, uh, almost like a Chinese water torture of lots of small bad decisions. It's not like yeah. there were any big howlers, which like, no. you know... Uh, we would have won without them or we would have got a draw without them. There were no like huge like bollocks that he dropped. It was just a consistently low quality yeah, yeah. Uh, performance. And I thought great banter from Gerard when they said uh, to him, oh, he's retiring at the end of the season. And he just went, oh, is he? Oh, good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What was and the other also, quote? The other quote was, uh, I hope someone's going to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. Well, they never do, do they? No. They never do. So that's your villain of the week. Who's your hero of the week? Yeah, I mean, on referees, we were at the Norwich game. I didn't think the referee uh, in the Norwich game was having a particularly bad game at all. Um, but still, the, the, as, as you say, uh, you know, the chant still comes up, emanates from the uh, whole end. You know, the referee is uh, this or that, you know, insert in expletive. But I was actually um, watching it with my 10 year old daughter. And uh, she's looking at me as if to say, you know, Dad, these uh, these songs are not very nice, are they? And I said, Erin, perhaps the, you, perhaps you've got a, a, a anti-referee chant that's a bit cleaner. And she looked at me and she said, you're not fit to referee? I'm like, yeah, good one. Go with that. Absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, but actually, I thought that the whoever the, the ref was against Norwich was fit to referee. But in this case, John Moss, it really is time to hang up the whistle. So, uh, Hero of the Week. Hero of the month, really, I think, um, since the last uh, pod anyway. Um, Emmy Buendia has um, been a breath of fresh air when he's been introduced from the bench. He's had a wonderful uh, game against Burnley where he's been creative, where he's worked his socks off. His press is fantastic. He makes things happen. But most of all, I just think that, uh, you know, to be overlooked, unfairly overlooked, uh, perhaps um, to be kind of uh, having to watch the manager in press conferences suggest that you know um, can't play two of these world class players and obviously Phil's my fave uh, that must be tough but actually his attitude when he when he comes into the side and when he comes off the bench is, is first class is you know he's full of running he's full of uh, industry and he's full of quality so I just think you know we've got an absolute gem here and I think that one of the Big tests for Gerard. You know, he probably fancies himself as a man manager. Uh, will be just how well he can reconcile 
these two fantastic talents, keep them happy and keep them uh, contributing well for the football club. Um, but yeah, Buendia, what a guy. And I, and I say that as somebody who wasn't convinced after the first two months of his uh, of his stay here. He, he played 21 minutes against Liverpool. In that time, he had 20 touches, uh, eight pressures, uh, one shot creating action, um, 15, 15 carries um, and a, a pass completion rate of uh, 89%. 89%. Uh, this isn't just about comparing him to Coutinho. I didn't think Coutinho had a bad game. I thought he was one of our less influential players on the night, but I thought he had an OK game with some flashes. Coutinho played 69 minutes, obviously, uh, if uh, Wendy came on for him and played 21. In that time, he had 34 touches, 16 pressures, um, 21, 21 carries, and also one, one shot creating uh, action. So, you know, per, per minute, there's, there's no doubt that Buendia did more uh, in, yeah. in that game uh, than Coutinho did. Uh, and I think certainly uh, Buendia's performance um, against uh, Burnley was better than anything we've seen from Coutinho for, for a little while. But I, I do think we also need to uh, be fair to Coutinho and say, you know, he's not played consistent football mm. for a long time. The pace of the Premier League is different to either Spain or Germany. Um, so I think a bit like what we said about Gerard. Really, we don't, we judge him after a preseason and and all of that. Um, yeah. Uh, from now on, but but for me currently, Buendia is the better is the better player, and I think certainly now that Coutinho signed and there's no question over, we've got to give him game time to to make sure he he signs. Um, I would hope to see more of Buendia in the in the remaining three games than we have seen in the in in, in the recent uh, in the recent past. Given he is the player in in form, just on the Liverpool performance in in general, then um, I, I felt a really key thing uh, was our improved shape. Um, mm. I think Nakamba coming back really helped with that. I think also Louise uh, as an eight. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit as well, um, as, as well. But we, we tweeted a, a little while ago, um, a few games ago. I think it was after the um, the Arsenal game or the Spurs game. I can't remember which one. Uh, the average positions uh, for that for that game, and it, it got a fair bit of attention on on Twitter. It showed Dini way too high. Huge gaps between the two eights, leaving Louise, who was the six at the time, massively exposed. Um, our front three all right on top of each other. If you look at the position map for the Liverpool game, despite the fact we're playing um, arguably the best team in the league, certainly uh, one of one of the best. Um, you, if you were drawing the positions on the, on a map of where you thought they should be, they were almost they were almost perfect. So the eights were much closer together. Uh, Nakamba, obviously, a, a, a more of a genuine defensive midfield player um, in, in a much more sensible position. And the balance of the fullbacks and where they were, yes, they were high, but they weren't so high as to leave us completely exposed at the back all of the time. So I, I think whether that's um, a slight shift in personnel, whether it's just that we played a bit better, whether it's uh, genuine progress in terms of... Um, Gerard's method starting to pay dividends. I, I don't know, but I felt like it was a really impressive performance overall. What was what was your take on it? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I was at the Spurs game. I think the interesting thing about that is obviously we've battered them in the first half, bar a kind of uh, a good finish. But you know we could have easily gone in at halftime three one up, and then you think, well, maybe yeah. at, th- at three one up, Gerard says, okay, let's pull the fullbacks back a bit. Um, let's try and uh, consolidate. The problem is that the second goal goes in and then we start taking risks in possession and committing men forward. And that means that at the end of the game, those positions are kind of a little bit more advanced than they otherwise maybe would have been if the game had have gone in a different uh, direction. But I still think that, um, you know, the, the, there was still a bit of tactical naivety there, whichever way you slice it, because we just didn't need to go. Um, a, a full power at them after the second goal, as I think you've said before. But yeah, um, I think yeah against Liverpool, Nakamba came back in, and that was great to see. Um, another point about the fullbacks is if you're going to play really high fullbacks, but you've got Cash and Dean who are really wasteful, then the problem is that you know for all your uh, possession from your fullbacks in the final third, you, you're not creating chances or goals, and so it's not worth it in terms of how exposed you are when you lose the ball. 
Whereas if you've got Cancelo on one side and Trent on the other, then you know you can play high fullbacks because you're going to get a load of goals. I think that Dean's performance on the ball was really encouraging from that point of view. Like I don't mind him being caught out now and again if his quality and he he's he's pulled the ball back a couple of times absolutely beautifully uh, from the yeah. byline. And I think if we if you know if you've got that quality, then we can we you know I'll accept that you're going to get caught out now and again. Um, so that was good. Um, yeah, the shape looked a lot better. Um, yeah, it makes you think, doesn't it? If we've got somebody like Nakamba or even an upgrade on Nakamba, you know, not against Liverpool, but against a mid-table or a bottom-half team, is that the in that scenario, do you think Gerard says, OK, we play the two tens? We play the two tens, the high full-backs, and we've got a really high-quality six in there who can, you know, perhaps break up the play a bit more uh, cover a bit more ground, hold on to the ball a bit more with a bit more uh, economy when he wins it. Maybe. I, I actually thought both fullbacks were excellent in the, in the game. Uh, and, and I think one of the big questions over Luca Dean coming out from Everton fans when we signed him was over his defensive ability. And actually, particularly in the Merseyside derby where he got absolutely slaughtered by, um, you know, by Salah. And of course, no shame in that because Salah's one of the, best forwards in the, in the world. But I, I thought actually he was excellent uh, defensively um, in the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, Dini had 70 touches in the game, which is comfortably the most of any of any Villa player. Five interceptions, two two tackles. He was obviously key in the build-up to the goal um, as well. So I, I thought it was probably his best all-round performance um in a villa, in a villa show. I think he's had good attacking performances and he's had okay performances defensively before. But I thought, in terms of all round performance, that was excellent. And I also think Cash. Um, I think he's just grown and grown this season. I mean, we and me in particular, actually, were very critical of him earlier in the season for being very wasteful uh, in the final in the final third. I think there's still an element of that. He had one sort of classic Matty Cash shot from that he shouldn't have. He really shouldn't have had that shot. Um, but I thought overall he was excellent, and he just gets up and down the touchline so so effectively. So I thought both fullbacks were excellent. But I wanted to talk about Louise a little bit um, as well, particularly his performance as a as an eight, because after Dinia he had the most touches, fifty four touches, eighty eight percent accuracy on the ball, three shot creating actions, which was leading the team. So no one created better more chances than more chances than him. He had the most pressures in the side with thirty. Uh, four blocks, uh, two interceptions and, and a goal. Um, and I thought as an eight, when he was playing as an eight, uh, he was one of our best players. But almost as soon as he moved into that six position, uh, the sort of errors and the additional pressure of, of being closer to his own goal and all that sort of stuff crept in. And, and obviously he was um, majorly at fault in the way he gave the ball away uh, for, the, for the second goal. So... How, how did you how did you feel about that Louise performance overall, and also how do you feel about him going going forward as well? Yeah, I think um, as a six, he he give, he seems to give the ball away a lot, as you say. Um, you know, you, I guess you look at him and you think, okay, the lad can pass. He's composed on the ball. He's got a lovely touch. What you know, and he and he can tackle. Why can't he play in that? Why can't he play as a sort of quarterback, you know, deep lying central midfielder? But for whatever reason, he just can't. Uh, he it gives the ball away so often. Um, he he gives away silly fouls in front of the uh, in front of the on the edge of the D. So I think a lot of people were sort of perhaps a, you know a little bit resigned to and not kind of disappointed with the idea that he might move be moved on uh, in the summer. But when after Project Restart, when he was playing really well, that was more of an, as an eight, wasn't it? Uh, I think he was playing in this. Well, it's hard to compare because it was a four-two-three-one, wasn't it? Yeah. So he was playing yeah. in in a two. It's kind of a deep line midfield player, but as part of a two. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, th- I, I just, obviously, you know, he looked loads better uh, with Nakamba giving him the cover. You know. Yeah. And and being able to be a bit more progressive. And actually, you know, I, he he can find a through ball. He does want to make those late runs into the box, actually. Maybe that's more his natural game. 
so yeah, I, I think that's a, it, it's an option and, and maybe it needs to be explored. But then I think that you know maybe we'll talk about Ramsey a bit more in a minute. But it would be it would seem to be the case that if Ramsey had been fit, uh, he'd have been playing instead of Louise in front of Nakamba uh, with Begin. I'd, I'd, for whatever reason, I think McGinn is seen by Gerard as being undroppable. But I don't know. I, is there a case for playing Louise and uh, and Ramsey with with Nakamba potentially? Yeah, I think there's. Well, I think I'd like to see it. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean, I, I think another thing with the shape is we seem to have we played with Ramsey and McGinn. We've played most of the season with them playing on what I consider it to be the wrong side, where Louise is uh, where McGinn on is is on the right side as a left footed player and Ramsey uh, on the left, which is constantly forcing them inside when we're in mm. possession, which only uh, exacerbates the issue of us being narrow. narrow. And we've yeah. talked about before, we're narrow by design and that's fine. It has its benefits, but it also has its weaknesses, particularly in attack. I think having the midfield players, the H the wrong way around, only accentuates that because they've always got to look to come inside. That's their only yeah. that's their only option. But the last few games, and certainly against Liverpool, we had McGinn on the left and Louise on the right. It, to me, that's the right way around. It gives them the option to come inside if they want to, but they don't feel forced always to turn inside uh, uh, and have fewer options that way. So I, I don't know whether that's... Uh, I, I never really understood the inside-out uh, approach, and I've said that on the pod before. Mm. I don't get what the benefits of that of that are, um, but I think... Um, we have benefit and have benefited, and McGinn himself has benefited from that from that uh, mm. from that change um, a little bit. Uh, another thing that we've talked about on the pod a little bit is is the kind of possession thing, and, and one of the things that uh, one of the things I really liked about the Liverpool game was the balance. So we've tried to play out a little bit, but we didn't overdo that, which is very sensible against Liverpool, who've probably got the best press in the world. Um, oh God, yeah, we were. We were direct, but not, you know, insanely like it felt maybe in the Tottenham game where it felt a little bit hit and hope uh, and we weren't trying to play uh, and so on. And we actually had 40% possession, which doesn't sound great, uh, but actually in in Liverpool's last 10 games, only their games against Man City twice uh, and Villarreal in the away game in the Champions League semi uh, have Liverpool had... Um, uh, more uh, sorry, less possession uh, than, than that sixty percent. So, uh, you know, given the, the opposition, uh, I think we actually looked after the ball reasonably well and probably better than we have against some opposition that's that's not uh, as good as uh, as Liverpool. Um, so, so I felt like there's there a lot of good signs um, in that game, and I, I think particularly in the first half, I thought we were really good. And even just some really small tactical things like pulling uh, Ings out to the left consistently to keep Alexander-Arnold at home a little bit more and and just little things like that that I felt like we haven't really really seen that sort of smart tactical stuff um, from Gerrard and his team to that degree in most of the games uh, we've seen so far. But you could see stuff starting to happen and things starting to work the way it was supposed to work. And I think cautiously optimistic because it's not that long ago that we lost four in a row in fairly uncomfortable fashion. Uh, but I think I think there are some encouraging signs there around what Gerard's trying to achieve and, and whether we're moving in that in that direction. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think that actually, if Henderson hadn't come on when he did, I think would have been even better in terms of the possession stats because he helped them look after the ball a, a lot better, which was odd, really, because I've, you know, I, I do think Fabinho is a good player, but he was not of the races. Uh, at oh, all. he was awful. He's awful. Um, I said on Twitter, he was reminding me of Carlton Palmer, who's just literally yeah, just yeah. running around and kicking people. Mm. Um, and normally, I mean, again, we've said on, we've said before, when we're talking about our need for a defensive midfield player, that he's exactly the sort of ideal player that you would you would put in that role, but not, not the way he played against no, us no. for the first thirty minutes. He was dreadful, and it, it really changed the game when Henderson yeah. uh, when Henderson came on because he gave them a lot more control. Um, and I think he's an excellent captain as well, and I think his mm. uh, his influence in that sense makes makes a difference to them mm. uh, as well. Yeah, and it was a terrible. Obviously, you know, uh, I, I love I love Tyrone Mings. I think he's a great leader. I think he's a great man, uh, and I think that um, we'll absolutely struggle to get a bigger character. And and uh, when you look at 
when you look at everything that he offers, I think that you'd have to spend an awful lot of money to to get in somebody that can do more than he does. But obviously, it was a it was a really poor error for the, for their goal. But then that was sort of cancelled out by Naby Keita doing the classic kind of you know year eight B team kids kind of uh, hit the standing foot when he swings a leg at it job on the six yard box. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I felt that actually we were in the game. Uh, we were unlucky, really. We had chances. Ings had chances. Um, he's, he's that finish that uh, when he was offside and he's absolutely slammed it into the bottom corner. Hopefully, that's a taste of things to come because that's what we that's what we signed you for, Danny. Finishes like shame that. Shame he didn't. Shame he didn't do that on a couple of the ones where he wasn't offside, isn't it? Really, he, but, he looked. Uh, he looked like he was. He looked like he was running through treacle a couple of times when uh, he was yeah, in one on one. He's never been the quickest, though, has he? That's no. not really been his. That's not. But really you want him to get. Game. But you still think you know you're not the quickest. Get the shot off, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, he kept getting in the positions. It'll yeah. it'll come, won't it? I, I think the frustrating thing about the game overall, and, and it's nice to be frustrated about a narrow loss against Liverpool. But mm. uh, the frustrating thing is both goals were of a result of errors, and I think Mings's error for the um, for the goal was was the most obvious one. But actually, there were two or three, you know, it was like the second, it wasn't the second ball, it was like the third ball by the time, you know, it mm. went in. And we had other opportunities to, to clear before that. Mings's was the, the biggest howler, but yeah, it, it wasn't no, the right. only error. It wasn't the only defensive error in the build-up to that goal by any means. And then, of course, as we've touched on Louise for the, for the second. Uh, so frustrating that we the two goals we conceded were down to errors, again, uh, as we've said many times in a lot of games. Um and also that we had chances at the other end and then we didn't take them. And I, I don't think a draw would have been an unfair result at all. Um, no, XG-wise, XG it was pretty close. Uh, yeah, I think a draw would have been a fair result. I mean, the, those those of, uh, those listeners that are keen for Grealish to end the season without any pots um, potentially were, were quite happy that the game ended the way it did. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously um, a, a draw would have been an absolutely fair result and I suppose they were slightly weakened by the fact that they didn't have Salah but he's been he's been very below par in recent weeks and um, I didn't think he was that great when he came on even No well I mean I don't I think they made changes but they made them because the players they left out were tired mainly Out of of form and tired yeah Yeah so I don't think I mean you could argue it was a weakened side but I don't know like I think they put their best team to win the game out based on you know Yeah Diaz Yeah yeah, no, you're right. Um, over, overall, I think very cushy. And it reminded me a little bit of when we um, lost 2-1 at home to Man City, but had a, a couple of chances to uh, to maybe yep, get a draw. very similar. Very um, similar. So, you know. All right. Uh, well, should we move on quickly to talk about uh, the Palace uh, preview? Um, I've got a few, uh, I've got a few um, stats. So here is... Uh... Vital statistics, ladies and And apologies to friends of the friend of the pod, uh, Chadzi, who was uh, tweeting the other day about how he hates head-to-head stats because they're totally irrelevant and it's completely different teams that are now playing and it doesn't matter. But we enjoy them and I like doing them, so I'm going to carry on regardless. Um, do you think we've got a winning record against Palace, mate? Uh, I reckon we have, yeah. We have 21 wins. Uh, and well, I've written three losses here, but that's a typo. It's 13 losses and 14, 14 draws. Um we have won three of the last five, but we have lost the other two. So it's a, a bit of a sort of back and forth mm. sort of relationship recently. Uh, but we have convincingly won our last three games at home without conceding. Uh, and the home game before that was nil-nil. Uh, so you've actually got to go all the way back to 2013 since the last time Crystal Palace even scored a goal at Villa Park. Good grief. Um, so um, that bodes quite uh, that bodes quite well in terms of their form. They've won their last uh, couple of games against Southampton and, and Watford, uh, but before that they had no win in four, including uh, including three losses. So they've uh, they've been similar to us this season, where they've been a bit streaky, they've been a bit yeah. inconsistent. Um, we've talked before about how impressed we've been with the job that Vieira's done there, some mm. of the signings that they've they've made. So Zahar obviously still remains key for them. He's got 13 goals this season. He's their top scorer. He's only got one assist, but he doesn't like to pass, does he? He likes to have a shot himself. Nah, um, Gallagher, nothing, obviously, nothing phenomenal player. 
um, eight goals and three assists this season. And the other one I think to look out for is Elise, who I think has been a very good signing uh, for them. He's only played 12 games because obviously he only uh, signed and then in January, I think, didn't he? And then he's had a, a bit of an, yeah. a couple of injuries as, as well. But he's got two goals and five assists in those in those 12 games. He looks a very good signing. And of course, they've also got Eze coming back from injury, who's missed most of the season. Uh, but is another good very player. good, very good player. Um, so how do you see it, mate? Well... If the, if that's the front three, and I think we can reasonably expect, uh, yeah, Elise, Eze, and and Zaha will play. Zaha's going to play down the left. Uh, that's going to be a that's going to be a tough day at the office for Kashi. Um, you know, I, I rate Zaha. He's he's the when we uh, when Greedish left, he was the player I thought that we perhaps might have been able to to prize away because um, I just thought a bit of a like for like maybe not as good, but you know, a, a really good player who can play down the left for us. Yeah, I rate him. And uh, yeah, so Cashy's going to have a, a tough day. Um, they're a good side. Gallagher drives them forward. But I felt that we really nullified them at, pa- at Palace. Um, yeah. Because they were in red-hot form at the time. And I thought that we did a good job on them and stopped them playing. And and, and we were excellent. Um, yeah, they've got two wins against Watford and Southampton. But Southampton's dreadful. I mean, they are so, they're on 40 points, aren't they? And I just don't see them getting another one. Um, no. So yeah, and Watford are very poor. I think that we'll have too much for them. Yeah, they're beating us twice, though. <laughs> well, yeah, first game of the Watford. season, and then yeah. But I, I think we'll have too much for them, to be honest. I think that we're in a bit of good form ourselves. Um, you know, if, if we've got quality coming off the bench, um, but I think defensively they might be a little bit suspect. So yeah, I think we'll win. Um, I see. I think we're going to get a clean sheet as well. I reckon it'll be a nice route, another nice routine win. How many? Two. How many to nil. Two, two, two nil. nil. Yeah, I okay, that'd be nice to continue our run of clean sheets against the Villa Park, wouldn't it? Yeah, I can, well, I can see that too. They've they've got nothing to play for. Um, we're in front of our home fans. We've coming off the back of two good wins. Confidence should be high. Yeah, that's how I see it going. Yeah, two good wins, and we did lose the last one, mate. But we're just ignoring that because it's Liverpool. Two two good wins and an, and an excellent performance <laughs> against the uh, European champions elect. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I don't I don't disagree. I reckon they might nick one, um, or we might gift them one as we tend to do. But I think we should have enough uh, to win the game. Um, I, I'd really love us to finish in the top half. We're not going to match the points of last season, but no. you know, I think. I said at the beginning of the season, if we finish in a similar sort of position, given all the upheaval we had in the summer, and that was before we even knew that Smith was going to get sacked and all of that upheaval as well in the middle of the season. Uh, if we finish in a similar position, I consider that a good a good season. But it would st- it'd be lovely to finish in the top half, regardless of you know whether it's we're not going to match last season's points. No. I, don't, I don't think we even can now, can we? Um, no. But it would be great to finish in the top half and just kind of uh, you know. We haven't done that since since that 10-11 season under Julier, where even then it was a bit of a fraudulent one in the sense we went on a on the last last game, runner. wasn't it? We were we were battling for uh, you know relegation for our lives for most of the season, and then we went on a little run at the end of the last two or three games and managed to yeah. end up ninth somehow because mm-hmm. uh, it was a very tight very tight division. But yeah, I'd love us to get uh, a couple more wins so that it doesn't really matter then what happens against City at the last game of the season that we, that we finish you know somewhere ninth tenth something like that would be, would yeah. be marvelous, wouldn't it? No, oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, and progress. You know whether it, I think that Gerard will see it as progress and. Uh, I think that it will give us a nice platform for next year. Right, mate. Well, rather than um, Villa Vault this uh, week, given we've uh, we've signed Coutinho and there's been a lot of comparisons, hasn't there, around, you know, always nearly the same money as Ross McCormack and all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I thought rather than doing a Villa Vault, we do a little quiz where um, we ask how many of the top 20 uh, most expensive villa signings do you think you can do you think you can name interesting one outside of the top 20 that I just mentioned uh is that Bosco Balaban is still in the top 50 most expensive villa players of, of wow. all time now that we've signed um Coutinho he will literally be 50th but he's, okay. he's still in there uh so how many do you reckon you can get uh in the top 20 and Ross right. McCormack is yeah. in the top 20 just so okay. you know all right so we'll start with Ross then yeah, Paul Mac. Uh, he Holly is Watkins. at number eighteen. 
Ollie Watkins. Yeah, Watkins is at two. Um, Emiliano Buendia. Yeah, number one. The top, the top uh, five or six should be really easy because they're all recent. Emiliano Martinez. He is in there. He's in. At, he's in at eleven. He was uh, okay. sixteen. This is all based on dra- transfer marked numbers, by yeah. the way. So okay, yeah. Feel uh, free to dispute, but that's what I'm basing it on. All right, Danny Martin Ings, fifteen point six. Yeah, Ings in at da- five. Okay, uh, you to me are everything. The greatest player I've seen, O Bailey. Yeah, number three. Okay, so what what numbers have I taken out now? You've mi- you're missing in terms of the top. You're still missing quite a few of the top ten. So you haven't got uh, a yeah. number four. Darren I'm Bent six. Darren Bent is at number eight, just ahead of Coutinho, despite being signed 12, uh-huh. se- 12 seasons ago. Uh, Wesley Marez. Yeah, Wesley in at six at twenty two point five million. Okay. The only um, one actually in this current top ten that I would say we could definitely say is probably a waste of money. Like the rest of them, quite obviously, questions still out on Bailey T- TBC on that uh-huh. one. But yeah. as it stands, I think he's the only one we would say. <laughs> All right. Hasn't done a job for the money. Uh, hmm. Okay. Number four was a January signing. Hmm. This season. Four. Oh, okay. Luca Dean. Luca Dean, yeah. 27 uh, now. So now I'm thinking back to when we were last in the Premier League and what big signings we made. Um, well, I can't think of... I don't think any of that crop of players that were all really good but played really shit for us and we got relegated, like uh, the likes of Veratu and those lads. No, they're I don't, not I don't quite th- in there. They're in the, they're in the top. Uh, the closest one of those uh, is Ayu at 11 million. He's at 25. Yeah. Um, um, but the, the other lads are a bit lower down the list. There's one... Uh, that's pretty. That's very old school. Signed in the two thousand two thousand and one season, who makes it in at number seventeen? Juan Pablo Angel. Juan Pablo Angel, yeah. God, thirteen oh, million. That's what they say, don't they? they? Say, do you remember where you were when Juan Pablo Angel signed? <laughs> and, I, and I and I and I absolutely do. I was in uh, uh, the Mitre in Southampton, and it flashed up on the on the ticker. Uh, and I thought, who the no idea where I was. I thought, who the bloody hell's this? But that's a lot of money. I'm sure he's excellent. Um, no, yeah. Well, uh, so how, how many more have I got? Uh, you haven't got number seven. Um, mm. You've got the Recent- entire top five. You said, you said Danny Ings, didn't you? Yeah, Danny Ings. Recent yeah, signing, so number five. seven? Recent-ish. We've discussed him on the pod today. Okay. Mm. Uh, Cash? Cash is in the top 20, yeah, but he's at number 14. So he's, you've okay. ticked another one off there. In fact, there's a few here we've discussed on the pod Mings. already. Uh, Mings at Mings. seven, yeah. yeah. Mings at okay. seven. Uh, there's another player we've discussed quite extensively on the pod today. Um, okay. Um, so, Conza. Uh, Louise. Douglas Louise in at 12, yeah. So you've okay. only you've got everyone in the top 12. Well, we haven't mentioned Coutinho, but obviously he's the point of the yeah, game, yeah. so you know he's in there at number nine. Uh, one just below Coutinho. Who we haven't so, mentioned in the, in the current squad. What's the fee? Uh, Sixteen point five six, according to transfer marks. I think generally sure. discussed as a seventeen. Okay. Had some injury problems recently. Did mm. come off the bench against Liverpool. Oh, uh, okay. Hang on, my mind's gone blank. Uh, came off the bench with Liverpool injury problems. Uh, my mind's gone blank. Who is it? Bertrand Traore, mate. Bertrand Traore. Oh, yeah. God, yeah, he came on, didn't he? Didn't do uh, much. He did come on. He did come on. He didn't have much chance to do much, to be fair. I, didn't, I thought he it's, played all right. Um, can't can't see him getting much game time next season. No. So then we've got uh, we've got two uh, wide players who were in the uh, Martin O'Neill team. Oh. Hmm. Well, arguably one was a central midfielder, but he did Milner as well. Milner, yeah, thirteen and a half million. Okay, sixteen. Hmm. Uh-huh. Well, we another wide player under O'Neill. Another wide player under Martin O'Neill. Yeah. Well, what did we re- play? Since we since re-signed for the club for much cheaper. Uh oh, right, Ashley Young, yeah. Ashley Young, yeah, Ashley Young at twenty. Mm. Uh, for uh, £12, million, £12 million. Then you are missing a Frenchman. 
you are missing an ugly full, famously ugly fullback uh, for regular listeners of the pod. And you are missing... Uh, All right, Matt Target. Matt, 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 Matt Target. Target at 15, Mo- yeah, for £14 Mo- million. Pounds. Morgan Sanson. Morgan Sanson in at 13, yeah. Uh, and then you're missing... Consa. Consa, yeah, for £12 million. Mm. 12 million quid, but it does, it doesn't, you don't have to get far down before you start getting a bit weird. So, 23, you've got Rio Coca. Oh, do, do, do. Nigel Mediocre. Uh, 26, you've got Amavi and Zogbia, Samata. Oh, yeah. Scott Hogan. Scott Hogan, oh, mate, just didn't play pub, right for him. Pub yeah. player. Coymore. Then you've got your Vare, too. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? It was cheap then. 8 million, was he? Or less? Six nine, million. Yeah, 9 million we've got, yeah. Right down the bottom, we've got uh, 50. We've got Bosco, Balaban, Steve Stone, Bjorn mm. Engels, etc. So you did quite well there, mate. Yeah, not bad. You did quite well, uh, I thought. Um, uh, slightly different quiz. But it's just, it's kind of remarkable, actually, how many, like, when you think about players like Juan Pablo Angel, Darren Bent still being so high in the list for us, it does just yeah. go to show that for all everyone says, we've spent a huge amount of money. You know, mm. if you look at the equivalent lists for an Everton or a Newcastle or whoever, yep. I imagine it's quite a different, quite a different picture. Well, yep. anyway, mate, good pod. I thought. Thanks for your time. Yeah, uh, no, thanks for your contributions. Pleasure. The pod, as ever, is sponsored by MeBay Digital, a local digital uh, agency. And uh, do uh, give us a like and a follow and a subscribe uh, and check out uh, MeBay Digital for all your digital needs. Um, and uh, up the villa, up the villa, mate. Cheers. I love it. I'm going to